Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you desire for us and desire us both to do and be in our lives as this is the last Sunday of the year. We need to be looking forward to what next year is going to bring, but also realize that Christmas isn't canceled. It wasn't canceled this year. It's not going to be canceled any year because we celebrate the birth of Jesus every day as we pursue God, as we pursue him because of his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace in our lives. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor at Sunlight Community Church, and I'd like to welcome you here to our Sunday morning service in person and online. Today we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. We've been working through the Gospel of Luke and different passages, and we're in a series called Christmas Isn't Canceled. And you may be wondering, why would you do a sermon about Christmas after Christmas? Because really, we celebrate the birth of Jesus every day if we're followers of Jesus Christ. So if you have our app, you can click at the link at the top of the feed, and you can go there, and we'll have notes for this sermon. Today, we're going to talk about what God desires from us. Many times, we don't know what someone else desires from us, if we're honest. Being married, you're constantly looking for cues from your spouse. And the number one thing I hear about is not not money issues, but communication issues that lead to other issues in marriage. And so when you have children, it's, it's also you're looking for cues from them or in friendships. You're looking for cues that, that happen. Uh, you, you see it in high school, too, when you interact and you wonder if someone has a crush on you or if they like you or don't like you. When you miss these cues... You're going to be lost trying to interact with others. And that really is a struggle. Many cues are unspoken or require some thought to understand. It might be body language. It might be intonation. Or as I've been told before, I don't like your tone. You know, maybe it's the tone of how we are speaking. And those are cues that we can pick up on when we are communicating and relating to others. And unlike our interactions... God gives us cues about what he desires from his word. It's right there. It's right in front of us. It's not something that we have to wonder what his tone was or, or his body language or, or maybe something that we might miss. It's right there in his word. So in the passage we're going to look at today, Jesus gives us glimpses of what he desires from us. Jesus, even at 12 years old, is a model of what and how to follow Jesus. We're going to see Jesus at the temple seeking God even as a child. So turn with me to, to Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third gospel. And starting in verse 41, and I'm going to read through verse 45. And we're going to, we're going to see some things that are very important that set the tone and the background for the whole passage. It says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover, and when he was 12 years old, he went up according to custom. And the feast was ended as they were returning. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, 
They went a day's journey, but they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Now, verses 41 and 42 show us the customs of the Jewish people. It was a custom to travel to Jerusalem for Passover, and it was a requirement for adult males, but not for women or children. They traveled in a large caravan to protect themselves from thieves on the road because the thieves knew they were going to go to Jerusalem at this time. Jesus was involved here in this spiritual rhythm, and not everyone was. You notice I said it was, it was for adult males, not necessarily children or women, to go at this time. Just as he was involved in the spiritual rhythms of the day, we need to be involved in that same spiritual rhythm. He wasn't required to go to Jerusalem for Passover, but his whole family went. And many people, when they think of Jewish culture, and this is the first thing that comes to mind, uh, is, is the term bar mitzvah, or this, this, it's been popularized in movies as a rite of passage into manhood for 13-year-old Jewish boys. At this time, this wasn't really a part of the Jewish custom yet in the first century, but even though Jesus' age is mentioned as 12 years old, the only significance would have been to say that he still was a child to them. They, they stayed this entire week of Passover. The average Jew wouldn't have stayed that long. They were overly devoted more than the average uh, Jew of that time. And at the end of the week, the caravan is heading out. Everyone's leaving town and going back to where they, they live. And Mary and Joseph headed out. That's where the story has a huge twist. Jesus, being 12 years old, could have been with other family members in the caravan, could have been taken by an aunt or an uncle or, or someone from their village and been staying with them as they were in this large caravan. But Jesus, instead, stayed at the temple, and he soaked it all in. He was trying to understand the Passover And it was very possible that this was Jesus' first time at Passover. So Mary and Joseph, you know, they left. They traveled for a day. And some of us go, if I didn't know where my kid was for a day, that would be unheard of or a disaster. But they were traveling in a large caravan, like I said. And so they, they traveled a day. They traveled a day back to Jerusalem, and then they spend a day searching, it says, and they're, they're there, parents are frantically looking for their son, and, and the third day, they're probably thinking, hope for the best, but we're going to expect the worst, we don't know what's happened, Jesus unknowingly distressed his parents, he didn't intentionally hurt them, or harm them, he, he and I asked myself a question at this point, where did Jesus stay for three days? If his family wasn't there, where did he stay? And considering it was Passover, he was probably at the temple for most of it, but there would have been plenty of places to stay because they were just emptied from the pilgrims and the, the, the people that had come to Jerusalem for Passover. So we find ourselves with, with parents that are frantically looking for him, and, and we, we find it in verse 46 that there's a little bit of a pivot here. And it gives us a picture of what Jesus was doing those three days, which is very important for us to apply. 
So reading verse 46 and 47, it says, After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. They found Jesus at the temple. He wasn't teaching. Sometimes we read this, and I've read it before, and I thought, oh, Jesus was teaching the teachers or teaching the, the, the priests. But it actually shows that he was listening. He was learning. He was asking lots of questions. He was curious about the word of God. It literally says, He was listening to them, to the teachers, and asking them questions. And when they hear his responses, that's when they're amazed. That that shows us that God desires open ears and curious hearts. Jesus had an open ear to what they were teaching and was curious about different things about God. Jesus was in a dialogue with the teachers of the day. And people were amazed at his understanding his wise answers, even as a child. Ken Hughes made a good point here when he said, rather, 12-year-old Jesus was sinless, intelligent, well-studied in the scriptures, and illuminated by his Father in heaven. And so people saw the wisdom in what was going on. Jesus here, it doesn't say exactly what he said, but we can see from from the, the people's response. Jesus didn't argue with the religious leaders. In contrast to later in the Gospels when he did, and he would kind of be in a debate with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and different religious groups. He was probably at the outer courts of the temple when they found him because that's where they would allow children, uh, women, men, everyone would be allowed in the outer courts, and there was inner courts um, that specific people groups could be, a, be in. And, and Jesus here is, is waiting for his timing. This isn't it yet. Not at 12 years old. And we know from reading the Gospels that it was around 30 that he started his ministry. He was going to have the proper timing. And Daryl Bach even said it simply this way. The best timing is God's timing. And I know some of us need to hear that this year because we think our timing is the best, and that's why we've really struggled with, with any type of change that's happened in our life, is the best timing is God's timing. And Jesus actively stayed at the temple pursuing God. It was his time to do that. We can all do that, and we all should do that. Spending time in the Word and in prayer, interceding for others, pursuing God with our time, our talents, and our treasure— Daryl Bach also said this, and the reason I mention him so much is he's, he's the primary, most, most in-depth scholar regarding the gospel of Luke. He said this also, Jesus' attitudes about his walk with God, his call to serve him, his pursuit of intimacy with him are not a product of his unique sonship with God. They picture how all of us should prioritize our lives before God. All of us, not some of us, not just the super religious, but all of us should prioritize our lives before God. Jesus is going to respond to his parents in such a way that makes it clear what our priorities should be. And so 
Joseph and Mary here ask him what's going on. Like, we've been looking for you for three days. Where were you? What have what you been doing? And we see this in verse 49 through, or 48 through 50. It says, And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Joseph and Mary are astonished that he's at the temple. Mary describes this great distress, and and it's reasonable, based on the, the words used there, that this is described as an anxiety attack. It's a panic attack. It's a, it's a moment that she is so stressed because she doesn't know where Jesus is. Jesus is confused as to why they didn't know he would be at the temple. It's just his response. So why were you looking for me? Don't you know that I must be in my father's house? Why would I be anywhere else? Why, where would I go? It's almost as if he, he, he thinks they should know this. Why would, I, why would I be anywhere else? Jesus is saying God is his father here. He's claiming to be the son of God. And it's, it's very subtle, but it's very direct also to his parents. The rest of the people in the room are probably wondering why did he say it that way. And so his parents as well as the disciples act pretty clueless at times. And this is one of those moments People are not going to understand the time or the devotion you have for God. And they didn't understand Jesus' time and devotion in this moment. He was devoted to God, his God-given mission, as, a, as, as, as the, the igniter, you might say, of the church of Jesus Christ. And so, secondly, we can learn that God desires our time and devotion why would I be anywhere else but my father's house? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And now we have an opportunity, just like Jesus, to claim a relationship with God that is, that is special. Jesus claimed he had a relationship with God like, unlike anyone else. And here, he calls him father. We can call him father because of Jesus. We, or we can call God our father. In the Old Testament, in the entire Old Testament, God is only referred to as Father 14 times and always in reference to Israel as, as God is their Father. But it's never an individual. But Jesus, in the Gospels, 60 times calls God Father in a personal, very intimate way. Jesus transformed our relationship with God the Father. God is now our Father because of Jesus. It's not any other way. And so I have questions when I read this. Do you believe that Jesus is God's Son? Do you believe God is His Father? Jesus is either the Son of God or He's not. This might seem simplistic. This might seem obvious to those who have spent their lives in the Word of God. There's still confusion to this day about who Jesus is. C.S. Lewis gave, gave a, a 
options of who Jesus could be. Either he's a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And the point there is that you can't be indifferent to him. He has to be something. And it says that in, in, in Jesus, it says here that Jesus is in his father's house, which is something different. He, he, he changed how ministry was saw, saw in his day. We need to be the same, same part of that change. We need to be a part of the church to get resources for mission. But we cannot stay in the church, in a physical building, in a space. We cannot stay there to carry out the mission of the church. We have to be out with our neighbors, those in our community, sharing with them the, the love, the hope that we have from God. Another note about this passage, and I think this is important here because this is very subtle, but parents may, may need to let their children go into ministry. Let them pursue ministry. I, I'm going to be a little bit honest. My, my dad's first response to me wasn't so positive when I said I wanted to go to seminary. It wasn't positive. It was more like, oh, uh, what are you thinking? And, and wasn't, wasn't very assuring. But he quickly came around and chose to be supportive and encouraging because he knew that's what God was calling me to do. So it's very important as parents that we support our children in the pursuit that they have regarding their relationship with God and not be a discouragement to them. In, there's also, there's another, there's another thing here. Even as teens and students, we should be engaged in ministry. Jesus was having a conversation with adults and sharing wisdom and asking questions with an open ear and a curious heart. And so Jesus, even though they spent three days searching for him, he was in his father's house and he was obedient because he was listening to his parents. Let's see how the moment ends. I, I, I think at this point, some of us might think, well, why didn't Jesus start his ministry then? And I, I still go back to it wasn't God's time for him. But it was God's time for him to learn and glean from others that were at the temple. So let's read verse uh, 51 and 52. It says, And he went down with them, this is Jesus, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all, the, all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom in stature, and in favor with God and man. I think it's, it's, it's so important here to realize what Jesus did. Jesus said, don't you know I, I'm in my father's house? This is like, this is my home. You already know this. You heard from the angel that I'm really God's son, and you have been blessed to be a, a part of my life and, and be here, but I'm where I'm supposed to be. But then Jesus does something that I think some of us would find curious because he doesn't rebel against what they're asking him to do. He doesn't stay at the temple longer. He chooses to go with his parents. And so Luke doesn't really record what Jesus' parents say next now that he's obedient to them. I don't think it really matters. Otherwise, it would have been included. Mary, again, is discerning and auditing and that's what she's been doing this whole time, treasuring these moments of faith. 
Jesus is growing in wisdom, in favor relationally and spiritually, and in stature physically. Which leads to what God's third desire is for us, is that God desires us to grow in wisdom and favor. Jesus Jesus was humble in his obedience because he knew who he was. When we know who we are, we can be humble. When we don't know who we are, when we feel like we got something to prove, that's when we struggle. He was growing spiritually, physically, and in his relationships. In this moment, he, he embodied Ephesians 5.21 that says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He modeled this first. Obedience is a key to spiritual growth. It's the conduit that God grows us in wisdom and favor. It's the engine that makes us move through to the will of God. We all know we need to be obedient, right? But that doesn't make it any easier to be obedient. Otherwise, we would think that we are being obedient, but we're really being obedient to the wrong master. And sometimes that's the problem. It's not a matter of whether we're obedient or not. We're just obedient to the wrong master. We are children of God. That's who you are. That's who I am. That's how God made us. And when we know that fact, that allows us to grow in wisdom and in favor with others. Because we have nothing to prove. We're loved. We're cherished. We're cared for. Do you know who you are? Do you know how much God loves you? And, and I don't mean who people tell you that you are. I mean who God says you are. That you're loved. That you're made in his image. That no one can take that reality away from you. That you're made and you matter to him. You matter to the God of the universe. Another, another part of this, though, is are you willing to give up your will for what God desires? You may be looking at the, the, the points this morning and, and wondering which one is one that you're willing to give up, or maybe you're not even willing to give up any of them. Having an open ear is pretty hard. Our ears are shut. When we get tired, oh, we don't want to listen to anybody. Having an open ear, having a curious heart. I find that curiosity is the thing that fights cynicism. It fights defensiveness if we're curious with others. How can we seek wisdom? And there's a few different ways, but I would say the primary way probably is to read the Proverbs, the, the wisdom literature in the Bible. Read the Proverbs, and it, and it definitely also means seeking out a mentor in the faith, someone that can disciple you and encourage you and be there with you at your lowest lows and your highest highs in your life. Whatever it is for you, it's not about staying the same. That's what God desires for you. It's not for you to stay the same. 
is for you to be changed and transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's why we're still in this series that's called Christmas Isn't Canceled because every day is an opportunity to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. So what? What does it matter? What does this passage matter? What am I supposed to do? And, and really, you just summarize everything to this, that God desires open ears and curious hearts, our time and devotion. You know, I, I, I read a lot, and I've heard so many different authors in different fields talk about that, that money doesn't matter nearly as much as time. And, and specifically wealthy people care more about their time than they do their money. And, and it's interesting to me because time is something that we can't get back or earn. We can't earn more time. It's, it, it's a depleting resource. And so when we're giving our time and our devotion to God, that is the core, the deepest opportunity and offering we can give. When we have open ears to others, we have open ears to the word of God, at that point, we're able to respond with the truth that's in the word to others. But if we respond with a curious heart, we win favor, as it says in the passage, with, with God and man. It's not, it's not one or the other. If you notice, it says both. And so having a curious heart helps us with that. God desires us to grow in wisdom and in favor. I don't know about you, but I'm really glad God desires that. I'm really glad his word shows that. I'm really glad that Jesus modeled that. And I know that everyone on this entire planet needs more wisdom. There's so many things. If we take time to process our lives, maybe in in snippets, maybe it's, annually, maybe it's quarterly, monthly, whatever, or even look back on our whole life, there's probably moments that you would have done things differently if you had the wisdom you had now. When we're 80, and we have the wisdom we have when we're 80, and if we had that wisdom when we were 12, I I bet you we would have treated life a little bit differently. And so God desires us to grow in wisdom and in favor, but that requires some work on our end. And so I'm praying that we as a church can focus on, on, on working out our salvation through reading God's word, through spending time in prayer, through encouraging one another. So if you have a prayer request, please, please fill out a connection card, comment on, on social media, Talk to a staff member. Talk to a leader in the church. And we want to pray with you and encourage you. Now, I'm going to pray right now because I'm going to pray for those things for our church that we would have open ears, curious hearts. We would spend time and devotion with the Lord. And then we would also grow in wisdom and in favor with God and others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we're willing to admit that we have, we have closed ears sometimes. We're not willing to listen to other perspectives, ideas, opinions, even if we know that they're wrong and they're not in alignment with your word. 
But God, help us to have open ears towards others. To be able to be an encouragement. Help us to be curious rather than closed-minded. Help us to, to run from maybe the, the cynicism that we have about this year to being curious towards others. God, give us an opportunity to spend our time and our devotion with you in your word, in prayer, in time with other believers. God, we are very thankful that you desire for us to have more wisdom and to grow in wisdom and grow in favor and, and be able to have an opportunity to be like Jesus Christ. God, we are thankful that you love us enough to desire that for us. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sunlight, we're going to have a, a one sermon series next week. It's not even a series, it's just one sermon called Second Chances. I'm looking forward to being with you here at Sunlight Community Church for that sermon. We're going to talk about grace as we start a new year. Thank you for being here, for being a part of God's movement in his church, and I'm excited to start that next week.